stand together this morning. We're going to be looking in Jude, uh, last message that we'll have in the book of Jude this morning, Jude verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And may God bless the reading of His Word today is my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> Calling our message this morning, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. I got to thinking about that old song. If you know it, uh, you can sing along with me. I've got the words up here. I have found His grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. While I sit and learn at Jesus' feet, I am free, yes, free indeed. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the half has never yet been told. Amen. Isn't that a great old song? I'll tell you what, one of the things I like about the old hymns is they never repeat themselves. You know, that's a... <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. <laughs> oh, Jude is uh, looking at things uh, relating to what we call the great pretenders because uh, there were a lot of false teachers in the world, a lot of people who had fallen under their influence, many who had made false professions of faith even and who were presenting themselves as being Christians but who were not. Uh, but several weeks ago, we noticed the, the change that he made as he began to speak to God's people. But you, he says, and he tells us then, began to tell us how to live our lives, how to conduct ourselves in the midst of a deepening darkness and a growing deception. Uh, in that sense, Jude's message has been as up-to-date as anything we could possibly read because it certainly applies to us in a day of growing deception and a day of deepening spiritual darkness. Jude, in this passage, as he finishes up, is pointing out to us that God's grace does indeed supply our every need. In the midst of every problem, every situation, every circumstance, every need in our life, uh, there can be inexpressible, unspeakable joy because we know that God is able. God is able. And we find that exact expression here uh, in this text this morning. Unto Him that is able. God is able. I like the way Simon Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you see Him not, yet believing... You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You know, probably the most miserable person uh, in Cabot, Arkansas, is that person who has bought into the idea that somehow uh, they have to get themselves to heaven by their own good works. 
I've had the privilege and the burden as well many times over the years to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who had been raised and come under the influence of false teaching, uh, teaching them maybe that in some way you've got to, you've got to make your own way uh, to heaven. Many of them lose hope. Uh, because they look around at what everyone else is doing. They look at themselves constantly playing the blame game. They constantly find themselves struggling with sin, and they can't get past it. And after a while, they just give up. I'm not going to make it. There's no way I can live it. I can't make it. And they settle down in a spiritual state of hopelessness. I've dealt with those people. I've been graciously enabled by God to share the truth of God's Word with them. Some of them have been able to see the true gospel. It tells us that it's not up to me. That salvation is not spelled D-O. It is spelled D-O-N-E. Done. And our, our salvation then rests not on my work, but on the completed work of Jesus Christ. What a good story. Uh, what an amazing truth. Uh, that comes to us. On the other hand, I, I've run across other people who went in the exact extreme, the exact opposite to that. Instead of losing all hope because they felt like they couldn't live it, instead they lost a good awareness of what sin is. And they began then to see themselves really as living above sin. I, I dealt with a lady once. I asked her point blank. I said, you know, how do you deal with it when you sin? And her exact answer was, I don't sin. I don't sin. Now, she quickly followed that up. I said, now, I mess up every now and then. <laughs> we just needed an awareness of what sin really was and I, I wish I had a good happy ending for that story but I don't it, it ended up at that point because she was convinced that she never sinned she had a definition of sin that was very unusual and she wasn't going to turn loose of it so people who begin to think then that we are somehow responsible for working our way to heaven generally gravitate to one of those extremes they either have to redefine sin in some way, so as to make it to where they're winning that battle, overcoming it, and they never sin. Or they have to go the other way. And they go into this terrible state of hopelessness. Sometimes they live out exactly what Simon Peter warned about uh, when he said that the latter end of those people is worse than the beginning. It embraced a false gospel. By contrast... Jesus promises us a relationship with Him that is full of joy. On the night before He died, the night before He went to the cross, Jesus said this, And you know now, and, and you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say to you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I will no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. Jesus intends, you see, that our joy be full. That we have a fullness of joy. Now that doesn't mean 
that Jesus is promising us that we'd be happy all the time. No matter what the kid's saying, nobody is happy all the time, whether in right, outright, upright, or downright. We don't get happy all the time. But the joy of Jesus Christ is not dependent on our emotional happiness. You can experience the joy of Jesus even when your heart's breaking. I've been there many times when sorrow and love flow mingled down and the joy is in our hearts. It's hard to tell whether the tears are of sorrow or of joy because they're both. A joy fountain of joy that Jesus says will never run dry. It's the same joy that he himself had as he was looking at the cross. And the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, that joy of Jesus was something that the cross could not take away. Even his terrible time of suffering not take away that joy. Why? Because he saw what his sufferings were going to do. Oh, we could spend a lot of time on that this morning. But as Jude is closing out this great letter, he is experiencing that kind of joy. And it just kind of runs over as he shares these last couple of verses. It's no wonder then that he talks about our eternal security. Now unto him, he says, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You see, Jude calls our attention to the power of God, reminding us that not only is that we have an awesome God, but we have an able God. Simon Peter put it this way in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1 and 3, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Jude tells us that God is able to keep us from falling. Simon Peter says uh, that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Now, this is not just a future promise. Or Jude would have said that God will be able to keep you from falling. It's not a past promise. Or Jude would have said that God used to be able to keep you from falling. Uh, That's not what he said. It is a present tense promise. God is able to keep you from falling. Simon Peter, also present tense. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I realize this morning there's a lot of different beliefs and that there are many Christian people who believe that it's possible to lose your salvation or as they like to put it commonly in falling from grace. But Jude tells us that God's able to keep us from falling and that we are kept by the power of God unto salvation. That's what we call a guarantee. 
I heard about an anxious mother who was sending her only son to college. As she met with the dean of this institution, she asked question after question after question. Finally, the dean was a bit exasperated, and he said, Ma'am, our college is guaranteed. If you're not 100% satisfied with the performance of our school, we promise you a full refund of your son. I, li I like that one. I like that one. I, I, I had a, a minnow farmer buddy over in Hazen. He's in heaven now, but he used to sell what he called the world's only guaranteed minnows, guaranteed uh, to catch a fish or die trying. That's what he said. Every time he sold you, some of you probably bought some from him too. Uh, but some guarantees are a little odd, I have to admit. I once bought a fishing rod with a lifetime warranty. It broke. I have an amazing propensity for tearing up stuff. Ask my dad. He used to tell me I could tear up an iron wedge. I wasn't sure what an iron wedge was, but I wish he had given me one because I think I'd have found a way to mess it up. When the fishing rod broke, I contacted the company. I got a nice little email back from them in a few weeks, and I learned that for $60, for a $60 processing fee, I would get a new rod with shipping. It cost more than I had paid for the rod to start with. Lifetime guarantee. You ever had a guarantee like that? You ever run into something like that? It's all there in the fine print. Well, I'm going to tell you something about God's guarantee to us. There's no fine print in this passage. Not a bit. He says it right straightforward, right up front. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. God is able, Jude said, to keep us from falling. No wonder then that Jude is, is excited and he talks about the joy that we have and the rejoicing that we have because we know that our eternal destiny is safe in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope you know that today. If you don't know that, it could be because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you never even knew you had to. Maybe you thought you was born in America, and so that just naturally made you a Christian. Maybe you just thought, well, I've known about God all my life. I don't know. But Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. And we're born again when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't believe on Him for you. I wish I could. Nobody else can. Your parents couldn't. You've got to make your own decision about Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't have that kind of assurance today because you're just still kind of hanging on. Well, I've got to live it. I've got to work it. Well, hold on. Hold on here because Jude tells us some more. There's not only, you see, our eternal security, but also there's our excellence in glory. Look at what he says. Now, to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Paul tells us how this can be accomplished in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, there it is, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, Paul tells us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God is working not only to save us, but to sanctify us and to cleanse us with the goal that we should stand before Him without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but instead be holy and without blemish. 
John tells us when that's going to come to reality in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. Righteousness of saints. What is that? Righteousness of saints. Well, the Bible doesn't leave us to wonder. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. Be found in Him. That's in Christ. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, the good news of the gospel is not just that God saves you. The good news of the gospel is not just that God saves you forever. The good news of the gospel is uh, that God takes all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and puts it on you. And he takes all of our sin and put it on him so that he went out to the cross. And it was judged in, in Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So that means that we're no longer seen by God as being sinful. We are seen by God as being righteous. How do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible says it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, that is God, hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We stand before God not having our own righteousness, Oh, listen, we know how that would turn out. If we stood before God on the basis of everything good that we'd ever done in our life, compared with everything bad that we'd ever done in our life, that story doesn't end well. You see, no amount of goodness makes up for those acts of badness. It just doesn't happen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ, John tells us, cleanses us, not from some sin, but from all sin. God keeps us from falling. But then if we add in these things, He keeps us from stumbling and promises us then an eternal abundance in the kingdom. Simon Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 was talking about those things that we add to our faith. Add to our faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, uh, self-control, all those things. He, he low, uh, puts out a long list. And he says, if you have these things or, or, or if these things are yours and abound, I'm sorry, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. That's nearsighted. Our word myopia, by the way, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. No believer in Christ wants to end up that way. You see, if we just settle down, well, I'm saved and I'm okay, and we don't ever move forward, uh, then uh, Simon Peter tells us that that leaves us short-sighted, nearsighted. That is, that all we can see is what's right in front of me. All I can see about my faith is how it relates to me, how it relates to mine, uh, how it makes me feel, uh, how, it, how it makes my family maybe feel. What, what I, it's just a faith that's about me. It's short-sighted. And it leaves us in a state of spiritual barrenness 
Because uh, one writer put it this way, he said that the New Testament church is the only institution in the world that exists for the benefits of its non-members. Uh, you say, wait a minute. I thought the church was like American Express. Membership has its privileges. It does. Uh, we get a blessed fellowship. It is sweet to be in church. We get to, uh, to learn God's word. All the things that we get, all the benefits that we get, all the blessings that we get. Are they there? Absolutely. But the bottom line is still the same. Our constant effort is to minister to those that are without. See people saved. See them come to knowledge then of the truth. Follow him in baptism. Move along in discipleship. And we constantly then operate under the power of that one word. Uh, number one, glory to God. Number two, others. Others. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Without that, then our faith becomes very short-sighted. We don't really minister to others. And we can even get to the point where Simon Peter says we're blind and even forget that you're purged from your old sins hard for us to imagine but you and I know Christian people well, you and I know Christian people they were saved, baptized maybe even members of a church maybe even members of this church but if you looked at their life and the life they're living you don't see any trace of God in their life at all you know them and I do too their lifestyle's worldly They've sold out to sin. You say, are they saved? Well, they're saved in exactly the sense that Simon Peter describes here. They're barren. They're unfruitful. They've forgotten that they were purged from their old sins. Why? Because they didn't add these things to their faith. But when you do add these things to your faith, then you get this promise. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that we'll stand before the Lord then, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We'll stand there in righteousness, which is the righteous deeds of the saints. We'll stand there, not ashamed, but rejoicing. See, that's what God saved us for. And that's the life that he wants us to live. And we can have that when we add these things to our faith. I'd encourage you to look at that long list of things that Simon Peter mentions in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Two out of those things, out of that list of things, refers to how we love other people, by the way. So we have eternal security. Then he promises us an excellence in glory. Excellence in glory. An abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then last, there's his exceeding majesty. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Jude's statement in this passage has great theological significance. He declares that God is our Savior. 
They said, wait a minute, I thought Jesus is our Savior. He is. What Jude has declared for us is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. You say, I don't understand that. I know you don't. Neither do I. God exists in three personages. How do you know? The Bible tells us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, God, and God. Three gods? No. Only one. Only one. I'm so glad that God exists in a way that I can't really explain or define. If I could explain it or define it, there wouldn't be much to it. But here, somebody might come up to you one day and ask you, well, is God our Savior or is Jesus our Savior? Your answer is yes. 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 But, uh, Jude reminds us that God is only wise. You know, you can get to know God, but we will never get God to know. We can't teach God. We can't show Him anything. We can't surprise him. God's never caught off guard. He never says, wow. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Uh, God is the all-wise God. He goes on then and describes these four great things about God. Uh, and it is because of this that he describes him uh, in the way that he does. His exceeding greatness of course, first is their glory, is His glory. You do not give God glory. God is glory. You don't make water wet. It is wet. Uh, if you don't believe that, <laughs> just go outside. Uh, walk across the yard. Of course, you know it. We don't need proof. God is wet. You give God glory, but it doesn't make Him glorious. He already is. That is His character and nature. He speaks to us of His majesty and our sin-marred flesh. You see, we can't tolerate uh, the glory of God because the glory of God is a consuming fire. But we uh, cannot at this time experience His majesty. But the day will come, the day will come when we will experience His majesty. When we'll stand in His presence and with unveiled face, we'll see all of His glory majesty. There's His dominion. I can put that simply. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. R-E-I-G-N-S. Reigns. Sometimes it may seem that sin is getting the upper hand. It's not. God reigns. Lastly, there's His power. That speaks of His authority. And all of which is given in Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All authority, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. He has kept all of it himself, and he has not given any of it to anybody or anything. He has all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. Uh, if then uh, we can say that Jesus is present in the church, and he is, uh, then where does the church have authority to do what it does? <laughs> Our king is in residence. As long as he is here, and he is because he promised that he would be, and as long as we're doing what he told us to do, uh, then, and, and, and we should be, uh, then we can be said to have authority because Jesus, our king, is here, and we're doing what he says. Uh, I like to tell people it's not so much about churches having authority as it is being under authority. All authority in heaven and earth, Jesus said, is given unto me. It's given unto me. 
This is true, Jude says, both now and forever. (laughs) Both now and forever, His authority is in force now and will be in force, you see, for all authority. And after he thought about that for a moment, Jude was carried away enough that he gave himself an amen. I like that, Jude, I tell you. I believe amens ought to be spontaneous, but I'm not above asking for them from time to time, and in, I'm not above amening myself. I mean, he was just carried away. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. That's a great place to end. So I will. Let me ask you a question today. Have you found His grace is all complete? Have you found that He supplieth every need? While you sit and learn at Jesus' feet, you're free. Yes, free indeed. You might have come into this building today under the bondage of sin. You don't have to go out that way. Because Jesus Christ offers you what every human being on this planet needs. And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness of your sins. And you can have it. It is there simply for believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried, but He didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day that He gave the promise, whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can claim that promise right where you sit. Bow your head, ask Jesus. Lord, I tell Him, you believe. Speak it in your mind. Out loud if you want to. I'm fine with that. Speak it to Him. Tell Him, I believe. I believe your death had my name on it. I'm trusting you. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. He will. If you do that, you need to tell somebody, I'd be a good one to tell. I'll tell everybody (laughs) that you got saved because that's good news. It's good news. Follow him in baptism. Join the church. That's what God wants you to do. Learn about him. Have you found his grace is all complete? That he supplieth every need. Let's stand together, please.